Welcome to Conversations with Coley, where we have conversations about subjects we think about but often don't speak about. My name is Nicole Miller, and I'm the author of this book series, A Through Z, Guide to Raising a Good Human, a series I wrote to help in the communication process. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Wendy Babcock, motivational speaker and founder of Slam Networking. Hi, Wendy. Hey, Nicole. How you doing? Good. I have to start us out with an icebreaker. So this one's for you. If you could go back in time and live in another era, what would you choose? Oh, gosh. I think, you know, I've thought about this before. I think I would go back to the roaring 20s. I think that mm. would just be a hoot to live. And I really do. I agree. Yeah. I think the societal things would kind of suck because obviously women's rights weren't what they are now and that kind of thing. But Aside from all of that, I think it would just be kind of one big party. Yeah. And I think women were a bit naughty, just naughty enough. I think they were rebel- <laughs> starting to really rebel. I'm not good with my history. So I don't know. Someone's probably going to come at me, but I do. Yeah, like- they can come at both of us because I do believe that you're right. I think they were just starting to kind of find their voice. Yeah, I think so. And I think that would have been a fun moment to be in. Yeah, I yeah. agree. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, gosh, there's a lot. So which, which part of my story do you want? So I've had lots give of us a, Just give us a brief rundown. Okay. So um, let's see. I come from childhood and domestic abuse. Um, I worked at a hospital for 20 plus years. And um, in 2017, I quit my job to take on a career of motivational speaking. And just lots of different opportunities came up after that. And now I still do speaking. Um, I've written a few books. And um, I had a podcast, actually I had two podcasts at, at one time. Um, you had your own show. Then, yeah. Yeah. The, the Biz Sister show that I was mm-hmm. running and then, um, and then Slam Networking. So I created Slam Networking. It's a new type of uh, networking and I have a journal that I sell and yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. kind of everything in a nutshell. <laughs> yep. Yep. So let's go back to when you turned 40, you turn 40 and you go in for your first mammogram. Tell Mm -hmm. us about that. Yeah. So I knew it was time to go in Um, a little backstory. My dad's side of the family has a lot of breast cancer. So all five of his female cousins were diagnosed or had breast cancer before age 50, including my dad's sister who was diagnosed in her thirties. And she actually passed when she was 50 from breast cancer. Um, so I knew like, once I turned 40, I'm like, I'm going to be on this. I want to go in and get checked. So I went in for my first mammogram, you know, it was obviously not fun. It wasn't terrible. I I was expecting it to be painful more. I don't know. It's just, you know, it wasn't that bad. So I went in and then I worked at the hospital where I had my mammogram at. So they called me, I don't know if it was later that day or the next day, they called me and said, you know, well, um, we want you to come back because we just found a couple spots. We just want to, it could be nothing, but we want to check. And I know that that's pretty routine because mm-hmm. I did medical transcription. So I had typed so many notes saying that women had to come back and it's usually nothing. And so I, I wasn't too, too nervous about it, but also right. kind of nervous just because of my dad's history. <clears throat> so I went back and they did another mammogram and then they did the ultrasound And during the ultrasound is when I started getting concerned that they were seeing something. And I'm like, because she calls the radiologist in. So it's the tech, the radiologist, and it was somebody, the nurse was in there. There was the, um, I forget who the other person was. But anyways, you know, they're mm -hmm and looking and pointing and I'm sitting there like, what the hell? Yeah. And if you you don't see anything, nothing, you're not going to be mm-hmm. Right. mm -hmm, Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like laying there, you know, with, you know, boob out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> boobs out basically. And um, I'm like, okay, now I'm getting a little bit nervous and I just don't know if I should ask anything or what, you know? Yeah. So they get done and they tell me, okay, you know, put your shirt back on, whatever. And the radiologist came back in to talk to me and he's like, okay, he's like, well, we're going to send you to UW Madison to have some biopsies. And he said, the reason why he says, we found so many micro calcifications in both your breasts that I can't even count them all. So what? like, what are, I'm going to stop you right there for a second. What are microcalcifications? I'm not a hundred percent sure, but they're like little areas that, you know, can show up on the ultrasound or the mammogram that can, that can be something, or maybe they're nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, he said that because there's so many and it's on both sides, 
He's like, the fact that I can't count them all is just a little concerning. We want to get some, get them biopsied. I'm like, okay. A little panic sets in. I'm like, okay, that's a little bit scary, you know? Yeah. And so I wait for uh, UW to call me and set up the appointment. And what really got me, this is where the panic truly set in. So the lady, and maybe they should have trained her not to say it the way she said it. Uh oh. Yeah. She's like, and it's not her fault, but she's like, okay, so um, they have you set up for five biopsies and in the, they've never done that many before. So this is unusual. I'm like, Oh, don't, don't tell me that. Don't tell me they've never done that many biopsies on somebody. In Maybe the they don't even of- tell you how many until you get in there and let the doctor say that. Right. Right. So I'm like five. What, what the heck? What the heck? You know? so how much of then, my boob are they going to take? That's what I would right. be thinking. So then I'm like, okay, so now I'm terrible. I never had a biopsy before. So then I'm like freaking out. Um, and I remember getting out that phone call. I was at work when I got the phone call, kind of like sucking it up while I was at work at home, busted down crying. I'm like, what the heck? You know, this is, this is scary. Mm-hmm. And then um, the day of the biopsies, I go in and the radiologist said that <clears throat> the team of radiologists in Madison, they all get together. This is routine for them. She goes, we got together and we discussed your case. And we feel like, even though, yes, we would like to do five biopsies for one, there's a couple of things. It'll be very expensive, even with insurance. And the pain from it, because of course, you know, they're going to take five biopsies. She's like, we feel like we just want to do one biopsy today and then we'll proceed from there. I'm like, I'm good with that. She says, we're just going to do one. We'll see what the result comes back. And then depending on what happens there, then we'll kind of figure it out. And so I said, okay, that, that sounds fair. So So now you're maybe a little bit relieved at this point. A little bit. Yes. Um, just the fact that I only had to go through with one of them because I wasn't sure what to expect with the biopsy. There, mm-hmm. It's not comfortable and it, you're laying on this weird raised like table thing. Have you ever had a biopsy done? I've Have never, it? no. It, it's it's a weird, con- I feel like it was a weird contraption if I, I'm just trying to remember it. So as you lay on your stomach on this thing with your boobs hanging down through these like holes <laughs> in the table. <laughs> so, you know, so weird. Yeah, it's so strange. And then I forget where your hands are. They're kind of up and around the front of you. So anyways, you have to be really still. And, you know, you feel it. I feel. I remember feeling like a, a, a burning feeling when they did the biopsy. It wasn't awful, but it was, you could feel it, obviously. Yeah. It just, yeah, it was just such a strange, and I honestly don't have that much of a memory of the whole thing. But um, I remember being uncomfortable when I went home and having to use ice packs. So I was really grateful they didn't do five at that point. Cause I'm like, one's pretty uncomfortable, you know, even with the ice pack, little, little bitty ice pack stuffed in my bra, walking around all day <laughs> for that spot. Um, and it, I think it was maybe two days later they call. And of course, you know, my heart sinks like, okay, what's this result going to be? But it was benign. Oh, good. So I'm like, okay, good. Okay. All right. What do we do now? She's like, well, because it was benign. She's like, I, I think with your family history, she's, I would just maybe recommend that you go and have genetic testing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, which okay. is smart. Yeah. I'm like, okay. And she, so she set me up with a geneticist and um, it was right around that time when I found out that my cousin, um, Carrie, she's two years younger than me. So she was 38 um, was just diagnosed with um, I believe it was uh I can't think of what it's called. It's like a stage zero type of zero type of breast cancer. Right. Yeah. Yes. I think it was. Um, And she had her genetic testing done. And so she, she said that she was uh, BRCA2 positive. I'm like, okay, well that's, I'll probably need that information. Um, So I went to the geneticist. They went over my whole family history, explained, um, you know, kind of what the risks are and you know, what, the elevated risk of somebody, if it does come back BRCA2 or BRCA1, and they explain that everyone's got the BRCA genes. Okay. So the BRCA genes are what actually stops cancers from forming. Oh, okay. So we all have the, I forget, I'm, I'm probably going to mess it up a little bit because it's just, I'm just going off memory. Yeah. So we have, I think the BRCA1 and the BRCA2 um, genes in your body. And those are what actually stops cancers from forming. They're the, the cancer fighters. Okay. So, so when you, when you're, found to have uh, BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene mutations, it means that they're not functioning. So they're not able to, to stop the cancers. So, you know, so I went through with the, with the, um, the testing, it's just a simple blood test, you know, but she said it can, and it, 
this geneticist was so wonderful. Like she sat with us for, it had to be two hours or longer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because she said, you know, it's not a life sentence. Just even if you're diagnosed with BRCA, you know, one or two, it's not a life sentence. You're not, doesn't mean you're going to get cancers, you know, and it comes with other, it's not just breast cancer. It's, you know, ovarian, uterine, fallopian, skin, pancreatic, colon. There's lots of cancers associated. Right. It doesn't mean you're going to get it. It means you have a, a, a very much an increased risk of. So, um, but I had opted to get the testing site. I'm one who like, who wanted to know. Yeah. And it was, I think two weeks and I very, I remember this phone call cause I, I was sitting in the restaurant. My husband worked at the, the restaurant at the time. And so I was in that parking lot and in my car and I remember getting the phone call. And kind of like my stomach dropping and somehow I, I don't know why I just knew it was positive. I, you yeah. know, before she even opened her mouth, I'm like, it's positive. Like I'm, I have the BRCA2 gene mutation. And for some reason that was more, I guess, devastating than thinking I had cancer, which was really odd at the time. But I remember thinking like, why am I so distraught over this? Doesn't mean I have it. I have cancer. Right. But I'm well, just scary. It was, you know, but she, the lady, this, this, there was a geneticist herself who called me herself and she was so sweet with, with it. She's like, okay, well, you, you know, you are positive for the BRCA2 mutation. And so she talked to me again about, you know, options, you know, there's watchful waiting, mm-hmm. which means that you, I would have had to have gone through like every six months, had a mammogram or MRI kind of alternated mm-hmm. to kind of watch to make sure nothing forms or whatever, you know, and then of course everything, there's always screening for skin cancers and colon cancer, right. that kind of thing. Um, but I had kind of already made up my mind at that point before I even knew I was positive. I'm like, I'm a very impatient person. Um, and I knew I'm like, if I have to go through this every six months, you're going to torture yourself. Yeah. I, my anxiety is going to be through the roof and knowing Mm -hmm. I already had so many micro calcifications and sure one came back benign, which was great, but I feel like I had ticking time bombs in me. Right. You know? And she explained that with my family history, the BRCA mutation, that basically it was upwards of an 85% chance of developing breast cancer. Oh, that's a pretty high chance. That's, it's not 50-50. That's a pretty significant number. And it's weighing to the wrong side. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember there was a lady on social media who was, you know, because I was very open about my journey on social media. I wanted other women to know like what I was, because I had never seen anyone who'd gone through this before besides right. my cousin. And so I, I wanted, I wanted to kind of share my journey. And I remember a lady really criticizing my, me for like, well, why would you, why would you go through with this surgery and all this stuff? It's, it's so like radical to do. And I'm like, Not so I use really. the analogy. I'm like, if you were going to get on a plane that had an 85% chance of falling out of the sky, would you get on that plane? Hell no. <laughs> right. And I'm like, it's the same thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, maybe that works for her, but for you, you chose, cause yeah, right. I'm like you every six months I would be torturing myself. Yeah. And, and so I said, well, I'm going to start researching and, and looking at what my options are as far as surgery, reconstruction, what kind of reconstruction. I didn't even know there were options for reconstruction. I right. thought you either went flat or you got implants. Right. And, you know? And so in the meantime of this as well, my sister also she had her mammogram a day after I had mine, Oh, you know, so she ended up having her mammogram was clear. She had us one cyst that they, they saw in her. So hers was clear, but she also went for the genetic testing as well. And, um, she also was BRCA two positive. Right. You know, so we kind of got to do the journey together a bit and she also opted for surgery, but she opted to go flat. So I'm hoping someday she'll come on and share her story because that's for her to share. I'm hoping so too. I asked and she's not ready yet. So I hope one day she will be. Yeah. So we both had the same surgery. Well, not the same. We both, you know, had the prophylactic bilateral mastectomies. Um, I joined, and this is anyone who's going through this. I joined Facebook groups Mm -hmm. of women who are diagnosed with BRCA1 and BRCA2. And there was so much support on there of other women that was like my go-to before anything else, because I didn't know, like I said, there weren't, that there were options other than implants. And I, first, I just didn't want implants because they said you'd have to go back every 10 years or something and have them like removed. And yeah, I mean, that's fine for some people, but I'm like, I just, it just wasn't surgery. Yeah. Yeah. And 
so I just didn't want it. I don't really know why at my core, I just like, it's just, I didn't want to have implants. I mean, it's again, everyone's in That's a personal role. preference. Right. 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 And, and I know women, right. And I, I worked with a woman who had implants and, you know, and her, she was fine. And, um, so there was other options. And what I learned was there was one that I was really looking at was called deep flap. So it's D I E P deep flap. I can't tell you what that acronym stands for offhand, but, <laughs> um, basically they use your own tissue. So they would use your abdominal tissue. Um, they would take off like a big flap of skin and fat and recreate breasts from that. Mm. And the cool thing is because they do microvascular surgery so that they reconnect like all those vessels and things yeah. so that, so when you, when you have implants, um, they don't stay warm or it's not your same body temperature. Like if it's really cold, I've heard women complain that they felt like their chest wall was really cold when it was cold outside. Mm. Um, but with this surgery with the deep flap, it, you know, it, it's your own tissue. And so it, your body temperature would be the same as the rest of your body. And it's, yeah. it, it, it's more natural feeling, I guess they move and all that stuff, like regular breasts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm like, well, that's what I want to have done. Um, and so when I talked, I remember talking to the plastic surgeon, he was awesome. My, I, I could not have asked for a better team of surgeons. Um, and he's like, okay. So he's like, let's talk about, you know, implants. I can do them, you know, over the muscle, under the muscle. And I'm like, okay, well, wait a minute. I'm like, I, I mean, right away they go to implants and I'm like, yeah. Cause they think that's what everybody wants. Probably that's right. majority and, I'm sure. Right. And so I'm like, well, okay, but I want to talk about deep flap. He's like, oh, someone did her homework. I'm like, yes, I did. <laughs> you know, he's like, okay. And what did he call it? He said it was the, not the Cadillac, the Lamborghini of surgeries or something. Oh, really? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, huh? He's like, well, he's like, I, I don't want to talk you out of it. He's like, that's not what I'm doing. I'm just, I'm just explaining to you that it's a much um, longer surgery to have done. It's a much more extensive healing process. And so yeah. he walked me all through it. And he's like, I am, of course, he's like, you're, you're a great candidate for this surgery. He's like, I'm not going to talk you out of it. I just want you to be aware that, you know, the surgery of eight to nine hours, mm. you know, that's your in surgery. Um, and he said, then the healing process is also quite longer. He's like, but basically once you're done though, you're done. Like, right. you don't, unless you have to have like revisions um, after that, that's, you don't have to have anything like long-term have another surgery down the road. Mm. And so I'm like, okay, that's what I want. And then, and then he said, I remember the look on his face. He goes, okay. So then also <clears throat> he explained the surgery, how they take this like football shaped flap off of your stomach. And I had plenty of fat. So I was fine. Oh, you stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I did. And so he's like, no, you're a good candidate. He's like, there's plenty there. And he was being nice about it, but yeah. He's like, so when we remove this section, you're going to lose your belly button. So usually we'll re reconstruct the belly button. And I'm like, nope, pass. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't want another belly button. He's like, and he just looked at, gave me this look of like, what? Like he had never heard. He's like, I've, no one's ever said they didn't want a reconstruction. I'm like, the Facebook. But really, what's a belly button for? Think about that. Right. Yeah. And I think what he was trying to say is like a lot of women, because you want to get us back to like your quote unquote normal self. You want to, you know, when you look in the mirror, if something's missing, that's been there your whole life, you could have kind of a reaction. Mm, and I understand okay. what he was saying. Like a lot of women want to go back to as much normalcy as they can. And so, um, I said, no, nope. I, I've read so many horror stories in my Facebook group of women who experienced, uh, infections. Oh, so you had yeah. already, you already knew you were possibly going to lose the belly button. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah. And so I said, you know, all these women, he's like, well, we can be really careful. I'm like, nope, I just, I, I'm not going to wear a bikini. My husband doesn't care. I'm like, I just don't want a belly button. Now, did you ask Brian? Did you be like, I'm yeah. thinking about not doing a belly button. Do you care? Yeah. No, he thought it was hilarious. He, he loved the idea. He think I think it's, he's like, no, that's great. That's going to be like, <laughs> I love you more. <laughs> right. <laughs> he thought it was awesome. So he's that's like, amazing. no, that's, that's. <laughs> you know, and I got to say real quick too, is, um, I, I'm definitely more fortunate than a lot of women is because Brian is a very supportive person. Yeah. Um, a lot of the women in my group really struggled with their mental health because their partners weren't supportive. And so like my heart went out to so many, I mean, so How we were not be supportive. I know your wife who is yeah. preventing cancer and not just the husbands or significant others, but the families. family. 
So a lot of families were like, thought it was so drastic. And why would you do surgery? And it just, that's a reaction that I would never have expected. Me neither. And I think it's because, you know, my sister was going through it with me. My husband was supportive. And so when I saw all of these posts of these poor women who were just like, they're beside themselves, that they were really suffering from depression and, and their mental health was severely affected because they didn't have support. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I just could not wrap my head around how people could be so cruel to somebody going through this prophylactic yeah. surgery. Yeah. And, you know, so I felt very fortunate that Brian was as supportive as he is. Now, in the beginning, when they first like diagnosed you and told you mm-hmm. and you knew you were going to do all this, were you deep down at all ever concerned about Brian's reactions? Yeah, well, of course. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's it's body image, mm-hmm. you know, like even though I was having reconstruction, I'm like, OK, how is that going to affect, you know, our sex life? Is that right. going to be an issue? Right. It's not going to be as attracted to, I mean, these thoughts went through my head and, and he just looked at me like I was crazy. It's like, <laughs> no, he's like, I'd rather have you alive. That's <laughs> you know? awesome. And like, you know, so he was, you know, but again, I think we're the exception, not the rule. And yeah. that's what's heartbreaking is because it's not the rule, which is, is what it should be. Yeah. And it, you're absolutely right. Cause you are the exception. And so is your sister. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cause her, husband you both also- lucked out with the two husbands you have. We really do. And that wouldn't have been the case the first time around. <laughs> really? And you know, you know that? Yeah. Yeah. That sucks. So. And and that would have probably made your journey even worse because. Yeah. And <sighs> I don't, I think, I, and I can't say for sure, but I really think he would have not, I think my first husband wouldn't have supported my decision for surgery. I don't think he would have been supportive about that. You think he would have made you do the ever six months? Yeah, I think. Or pushed for it. Yeah, Yeah, I think he would have pushed for that more. So. When um, you approached Brian, he was automatically on board or did you guys have to discuss it and you had to do your research first or was he just automatically like, yes, whatever you need to do? Yeah, he was automatically like, first thing, he's like, you do what you need to do. I'm here, whatever. It's your body, your decision. Um, He's like, go, Brian. (laughs) <laughs> yeah Go ahead, uh, I, I lucked out he yeah he he was a champion through the whole thing <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah wow I know we kind of got off topic so oh, you discussed with your doctor about not having a belly button yes and all that so then um what happens after that so what they discussed was no I had already had a hysterectomy when I was 29 because I had other issues mm-hmm. and not cancer related but um because I was only 29, they had me retain one ovary. So I wouldn't go into menopause at a young age. And so then we had to talk about, okay, well, we should probably remove that other ovary because of the risks again, with that BRCA gene causing ovarian cancers and having that last ovary in there that we should probably do all this surgery kind of at one time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we, we did, um, we talked about having the, the breast surgeon come in, the plastic surgeon and the OBGYN all do their parts at the same time for the same surgery. But when it got down to it, um, I forget which doctor kind of put the the brakes on it. He's like, you know, because we're doing the deep flap, he's like, I feel like that's a lot of recovery to do at one time. So let's put off the having the ovary removed because that's more of an outpatient thing. You can come in, have that removed and you're on your way basically. I oh, mean, wow. it's still a recovery, but it's just, it's one, it was one ovary and one tube. So it was, it's called a um, salpingo uperectomy. So that's the tube and the ovary being removed. So we only planned for the, the prophylactic mastectomy. Um, and so I met with all three surgeons and Madison's great about, they, I just cannot sing their praises enough at UW. They, yeah, the UW way they planned all my, all my appointments, everything was great. All the surgeons were fantastic. Um, so we scheduled me for that April. So this was in March, I think when I had, or end of February, early March when I had all my appointments and we scheduled me for the beginning of April. So I'm, I'm kind of prepping myself doing research on what to expect for the surgery. Cause like they, you know, I actually watched a couple surgeries like online. <laughs> did you really? I did. Cause I was really curious about like, you know, what does it actually entail and how hard of a surgery is this going to be? Am I making a mistake? Yeah. Um, and then of course, in the group, I was watching other women who had just had the surgery and what their reactions were to it. And every one of them talked about after they had the surgery, even though they, they were kind of, they knew their body was going to look different. Um, when they looked in the mirror that first time, a lot of them had these like breakdowns 
because they didn't recognize themselves. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm really going to kind of try and prep my, my brain to know it's going to, I'm going to look a lot different, you know, and just be okay with it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go into this with a, an open mind. I'm going to expect that. So I was trying to look at before and after pictures of what women look like and thank God for women who share their journeys, you know, yeah. if you didn't have that and I would have had a, I would have felt like Frankenstein. Yeah. You know, because so the, you kind of had an, you had an idea of what you were going to see. Yeah, exactly. Because some mastectomies are able to do what they call nipple sparing a surgery. So basically they can kind of, you know, remove the nipples during surgery and put them back and put them back on. Oh, okay. and, and for my surgery, they weren't able to do that. Sometimes they can say, but my surgery did end up actually being 12 hours. Um, wow. So th they weren't able. So, and I kind of went in knowing they weren't going to be able to, because he even told me, he's like, you know, we'll try to do the nipple sparing if we can, but usually with this surgery, that's, you know, not, not usually possible. I'm like, okay, it's fine. So I knew what to expect. And so the day of surgery, I guess I don't want to skip over too much. Um, be before surgery. So my surgery was in April and I want to get to a, an important part before surgery because it affected my mental health a lot. So okay. I talked about my cousin who was diagnosed with BRCA2 gene mutation as well. She had early stage breast cancer. So she went through with her surgery, but she went with implants and then she had a full hysterectomy. Um, in January that year, I had been talking to her about like her experiences and how she was doing. And she just got cleared mm -hmm. um, at the end of January, I believe it was to go back to work. <clears throat> she was really excited about, she's like, I've been kind of ready back to stuff. You're like, I feel great. I'm like, great. <laughs> well, the end of, was it the end of March? It was like a week and a half before my surgery. I get a phone call that my cousin Carrie was in the hospital. She develops kind of a postpartum, not postpartum, that's the wrong word, post-surgical infection from the hysterectomy. Oh. And, you know, the next text I got was that she was septic. Oh my and God. So I was just like, what? Like she was 38 years old. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell, you know? So I'm getting in. So this particular cousin on my dad's side, like <clears throat> I had only actually met her once in person. So we didn't really know each other very well, but it's still like, I don't know I about don't, you, but I connect sometimes with people very quickly and very yeah. deeply. Yeah. And was so, it kind of like that? And it was the cousin that um, <clears throat> everyone growing up, even though I didn't meet my biological father till I was in my twenties, I'm the only blonde on my mom's side. Okay. So my blonde hair came from my dad's side. So I was supposed to look just like my aunt who passed away. And this was her daughter. And so oh. we very much resembled each other. Oh. Yeah. And so I felt that connection. Cause I'm like, this is like the piece of my life that had been missing for all those years. Like here it is. And I felt like I was getting close to her through these Facebook messages we were doing about her, you know, what was going on with her and her experience. And then me being, you know, diagnosed BRCA2 and going through the surgery too. And um, sadly she passed from that infection. Oh my gosh. You know, so right before your surgery. On right before my it. surgery. And I just remember like, what do I do? Like, yeah. there was a point where I was like, I'm going to cancel this damn surgery. Like, there's no way, like, this is more extensive. Like, what am I doing? Yeah. You know? And so I just, I, I had to sit with that. And I think her service was like, um, the Thursday or Friday before my surgery. Oh my God, Wendy. Mm. So it was, and so to say that, like, I was terrified of getting an infection, yeah. is, you know, that's an understatement. Out. Yeah. And I don't even really know like what caused her infection or what actually happened there. But <clears throat> I know she was doing hot yoga, like just after she was released to go to, you know, so I'm like, if she had a slight infection and did that, did that like, man, you know, doing too much right away, maybe something. Yeah. I don't yeah. know, but it just was such a shock. I'm like 38 years old. Like that's, oh. and she had a daughter and a husband that she left behind and it was just heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, so then you know, for a surgery that I wasn't that like nervous to go in. I mean, I was of course nervous, but not like yeah, ready to turn around and run out of the room nervous. I yeah. was ready to run out of the room, turn, you know, <laughs> run out of the room Aww. at that, you know. So I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have this surgery. I know it's the right thing. I don't want to have cancer. I knew my wrists. I'm like, I'm gonna, I made the decision. I'm gonna go through with it. <clears throat> so of course my husband and my daughters were there. My, I think, yeah, Tina and Richie were there too. My sister and her husband were there at the hospital too. And we were told that it should be about an eight hour surgery. 
So what happens is the breast surgeon comes in first and she removes all the tissue and whatever. And then the plastic surgeon comes in and he does his job. So he cuts basically me from hip to hip. So there's this huge incision, like with a football shape in my abdomen. And he removes all of that tissue. And then he does um, microvascular surgery to reconnect all of the whatever you call in you know, all that stuff. Holy crap. Yeah. That so it's intense. It is. And so interestingly, this is another little side note. So in all of my quote unquote Google research, <laughs> you know, yeah, I kept finding something. There was a link to from music to healing better. And I kept finding these studies that showed that people who listened to music when they were under anesthesia during a surgery had a greater, um, um, I forgot the wording was a greater like healing process or a better healing process, or it was quicker or something. And, uh-huh. and so I had, I found these headphones that wouldn't, they're not Bluetooth. They're all like, there's like a little thing attached to the microphones or to the, not the microphones, the, the headset that you can program music into. So I had programmed like 12 hours of music and my surgeons were like, yeah, no, as long as it's not Bluetooth and you know, whatever you can listen to music. They had never really heard of that. Really? Yeah. But I was like, you know, if there's a chance that somehow it can help, I'm going to go with it. Yeah. I went in for surgery and my daughter, Caitlin told me, she's like, yeah, the first, um, so they can send like messages down to like this little, I don't know, even know what they had. It wasn't a phone, but where the surgeon can send messages to the family of how I'm doing. Yeah. And so the first message was, she's doing great. She's listening to her music. (laughs) so that was kind of fun you know um but then it ended up being 12 hours so I I can only imagine like how nervous my family got it after eight hours passes nine hours 10 hours 11 hours and I'm still in the operating room but what happened was on the left side of of my chest when he was trying to reconnect there's a main artery in there they were trying to reconnect it but they couldn't find it and so they were like kind of he put it as like digging around (laughs) sort of speak. And he's like, we couldn't find it. So we, you know, we had a heart, so we had, they had to go underneath my left armpit and in that area to reconnect that, uh, the main artery. Mm -hmm. And also they removed my lymph nodes that were Mm -hmm. under my armpits to be safe. Mm -hmm. Um, because the breast surgeon did say that, um, everything that my tissue looked very abnormal Mm. that she pulled out. So she says, she even explained that she went right onto my chest wall because she was looking at tissue that just looks very abnormal. Oh, so um, you probably would have had cancer probably within the first year. That would be my guess. I yeah. mean, the fact that even after the, cause I do like send everything to the lab to make sure, you know, that it's, it's nothing It all came back by, you know, benign. Yeah. So, but that doesn't mean God. it's not going to turn. Right. And even, even the surgeon, when she called me, you know, a few weeks after my surgery and she told me it was benign, she's like, I'll, I'll be honest, Wendy, I'm, I'm surprised. I felt like you were absolutely going to get back and have something that come back and said that it was cancerous. Wow. <clears throat> just because the look of that tissue was just so like questionable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So recovery was hard. I lost a lot of blood. I had to go through it. I had to have a transfusion. I experienced uh, tachycardia uh, post-op from the anesthesia. Now, just for people who don't know, what yeah. is tachycardia? So that's a very high heart rate. I kept setting off the alarms. My heart was beating like really, really fast. Mm. And part of that was because of the blood loss that I experienced. So once they gave me a blood transfusion, that kind of got it under control again. Um, So when I woke up, I ended up having, I had nine drains. So yeah, that's a lot of drains. That's a lot. Yeah. That's yeah. So I had two on each hip. I had a, they called it a Penrose drain off of my arm, like out of my armpits. I don't really know the difference in the drains, but, um, so I two on each hip and then I had three under, under my left breast, like on the armpit side. And then two, I believe on my right. Is that, is that nine? That's four, five, six. Yeah, that's nine. Two on my right side. So, um, yeah, so you got all these things hanging off of you, of course. Wow. And the trick, the trick is, of course, they don't get you up the first day, but when they, when they're ready to get you up because of the abdominal surgery, you know, you can't use your abdominal muscles. And I couldn't use my arms to sit up. Like, Uh, how do I sit up? How do you sit up? Yeah. (laughs) You know, give me the remote. (laughs) Right. So with the bed or like the nursing would staff a come and like, they'd have to help you, but you, you can't use your abdominal muscles, you know, because you're trying to heal it. So it's just, it was just, it was not fun, Mm -mm. but, um, 
Brian, again, was a trooper because they were able to remove, I went home with five drains. They removed four before I left the hospital. How long were you um, in the hospital? About a week. About a week. Okay. I think it was like six days. I believe it was six days. And so they took out the four drains. And so they, they asked Brian, they're like, okay, well, you know, are you comfortable? Do you want to learn how to, you know, empty these drains? And I thought there's no way he's going to do that. Yeah. He's like, sure. I'm like, no. I mean, look I, at him go. Right. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, yeah, sure. So I mean, it's gross. I mean, it's just bloody goo it's that's in there. Bloody, so it's, like, mu- yeah, mucusy, it's bloody, like, nasty. Wow. Bulbs that hanging down off of yep. these things, you know? And so she showed him how to like empty them and how to measure the, because you had to watch, you had to measure the liquid in there. So you wanted to go down, of course, the drainage. So to right. get them removed. And so she taught him how to, you know, empty my drains and track everything. And he did it. <laughs> Dr. Babcock. Yep. And he, say, he calls himself a surgical PA. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So I went home and recovery was hard. Yeah. It was hard because I had a, thank God my, my cousins like, get yourself a wedge pillow. Trust me, you'll love it. And so that wedge pillow was a savior because you don't want to lay flat. Right. So you want to be kind of like up on an angle. So that wedge pillow was great, but I had so much, interestingly, of all, of everything I had, the worst pain I had was back pain. Oh, from laying. From laying. And they said because of being on that surgical table for 12 hours. Yes. You know, yeah, well, that surgical like, table, I don't know. When they rolled you in, did you get a good look at it? Because when they did my surgery on my ankle, I said, is my big butt going to fit on that? They said, everybody does. And then yep. they strap you down. <laughs> yep. And it's like, okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you sure my whole body's going on that? <laughs> <laughs> right. Do you have wings that come up to hold like the sides? <laughs> no, but they had that seatbelt ready. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, yeah, God. so I can imagine you probably had a bruise or something from laying on that thing. It's weird because I had never experienced like back pain before. Like I just, I've always been pretty healthy and I mean, and everything. So I've never really experienced pain. And so like, I'm very sensitive to pain medication. And so they gave me like um, oxycodone or whatever it was. Heavy stuff. Yeah. And so like half a pill would make me nauseous and like, oh. you know, I felt like crap, but it, like it wouldn't help with the pain. But I'm like, I just... I'm stubborn. I would rather have pain than be nauseous. Yes. I'm like you. you. Yes. I'd rather, I would, I don't like being nauseous. I don't like throwing up period. No, me neither. And and actually going into surgery, I told them that I'm like, okay, I know the anesthesia is probably going to make me nauseous. Throw everything you have at me to not, I'm not nauseous. Yeah. (laughs) You have to do. So they gave me like three different medications, which was great. And I only, I had very little nausea afterwards. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. And so I, I didn't take as many, like I did take some pain pills. I had to like break down and take some on certain days, but I, I just hated it. And I would give me nightmares at night if I oh. took them at nighttime. Mm. So I didn't like that feeling either. But um, so I'm trying to think how far into it I was. So my first post-op visit, they were able to take out all the drains, but one. And, and how far my, after surgery was first post-op visit? I think it was, it was either four or six weeks. Mm. I kind of, I don't, I honestly don't remember. It was a few weeks though, for sure. Maybe it was four weeks, but basically it comes down to two is like, you know, you're, you're watching your drains. Actually, it might not have been that long now that I think of it. Maybe it was only a week or two. I wish I would have wrote this stuff down, you yeah. know, back when I got it. Cause now it's, cause that yeah, was 2016. It's a blur. Mm-hmm. It is kind of a blur, but it, it was a few weeks afterwards because we had to measure everything that was coming out of the drains and when it got low enough and you can go in and have them removed. <clears throat> and so they removed all the drains, but one, and that was my right hip drain. That one still was kind of filling up quite a bit. Um, so that was kind of a bummer because I was looking forward to being drain free because sleeping with those stupid things was yeah. awful. Oh, I bet move. you can't move. Yeah. And even like you don't have energy. So because of the surgery, like you're just exhausted and completely wiped and then taking a shower with those drains sucked. You know, you had to have like a, a drain belt essentially to pin all these drains to. So they're not just hanging in the shower because that's uncomfortable. Right. right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was awful. So I went home with that one drain and I'm trying to think how long it was. I wish I would have wrote this. Down. I don't remember how long it was. It was maybe a couple weeks later. I thought I was getting a cold. Like I just didn't feel good. I'm like, why do I feel like crap? I just feel like I'm not getting sick. I took my temperature at a slight temperature. I'm like, crap. I've, I caught something. I feel miserable. 
And then I remember thinking, I'm going to go take a shower because <clears throat> I was due for a shower and I, I'd slept a lot because it took a lot to take a shower and I had like a little stool in there I have to sit on. Yep. And I got in the shower and it, it would take a while to take a shower and get out. And I remember when I got out of the shower, I was like, what is this? I felt something like drip. I don't know how to explain it from like my stomach area. And I looked down and there was, and this is gross. So trigger warning for whoever's listening. This is kind of gross. Yeah. I looked down and it's like this white, like pus material, just, just flowing out of the hole where the drain is. Oh my God. And I'm just like instant, like I start crying. I was just like instant panics. I know yes. it's an infection. Yes. And, and now you're clicked. thinking of what happened to Carrie, I'll bet. Exactly. Yep. So I'm like, this is why I don't feel good. This is, and it's all like just clicking. I'm like, and I, I can see the areas red. I, I knew it was kind of tender anyways. And I thought, well, it's because the drain's been in so long. That's why it's tender and that's why it's red. Yeah. No, it was infected. Oh gosh. And so I first sent a picture to my sister's sister-in-law because she knows about medical stuff. And she's like, yeah, you need to call your doctor. I'm like, okay. So I call my doctor has the surgeon has me send her a picture of the wound. And she's like, yeah, you need to come in. So Brian's at work and I have to call my husband and I have to compose myself enough to call him because I'm just sobbing. I <laughs> bet. Yeah, I was yeah, terrified. Mm -hmm. And because it was just literally coming out like nonstop. Oh my God. And I'm like, what the hell? Like that was just terrifying. So I call him, I'm bawling and he's like panicking. He made it home in like record time. <laughs> <laughs> so we get to that. We get to the hospital and to the surgery suite and I got this surgery, but she takes me back to one of the rooms and she's like, okay, I have to express this. She's like, so it shouldn't hurt, but you know, and so she has to basically like, it's so weird. It's like milk the wound sort of. Speak. Right. To get the infection like, out. Mm. I was so full of the, the pus that was in there. It was so gross. And so like, I'm laying on this table and she's, she's pressing and I can just kind of feel the, it just was gross. You can feel it and, leaving. Mm. And I, I just start crying. Cause all I think was of Carrie. Sorry. No, it's okay. I, look, I think it was my cousin and I just saw it and, and I'm like, she's like, Oh, I'm really sorry. Does this hurt? I'm like, no, 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 no. So I had to try and explain to her through crying. Like I just lost my cousin before surgery. It was a post-op infection. This is my nightmare. She's like, you're going to be okay. I promise. Like Aww. we're going to, we're going to get John antibiotics. It'll be fine. So she was just, she was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, and she was a surgical PA thing. She wasn't like the actual surgeon, but so she, 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 once again, she had to teach Brian how to express the wound. She's like, oh my gosh, she gets home. And so he, like I said, he was just, a he's getting a trophy at this point. My right? gosh. No kidding. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so then he has to like help me and, you know, and she put me on these really strong antibiotics and they were huge freaking monster pills, which I had to crush up and put in yogurt. Cause I, I'm a big baby and I can't swallow big pills. I can't swallow big pills either. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So, um, and obviously I lived cause I'm here talking about it. So and I love it. I'm so happy, but yes, yeah, I can imagine how terrifying that yeah. you felt. What's crazy is that they taught Ryan how to remove that last drain for me. So I didn't have to come back in to have that drain removed. So <laughs> Brian actually, removed so he really does drain. have a medical degree, <laughs> right? So yeah. So they showed him how to remove that drain. <laughs> Oh, wow. Wow. So, yeah, so he did. And it was, we were both scared when he did it, but he. That's no got to, that had to have bonded you guys so solidly. Oh. And can I ask, I, I have this in my questions. How long were you married before this happened? Two years. Two years. Yeah. So we got married still in newlyweds. Yeah. Got married in 2014 and had the surgery in 2016. And then we had other family traumatic things happen in between. Yeah. Now with my niece and stuff. So like there was, it was like, we got married Lots and of things. boom, all the, these like things happened around us, not necessarily to us until I had my surgery. Yeah. But still yeah. it put a lot on you guys and, and, and it yeah. bonded you. It bonded it, you. Some it people it tears apart, but it bonded you right. too. That's amazing. Yeah. My daughters as well too. Like they were fantastic through the whole thing. You know, they were at the hospital. Um, I mean, they saw their mom in all their glory, in all my glory. All your glory. How old were they at the time? Okay. So 2014, Caitlin would have been, and she's my youngest one. She would have been 15 years old and Jennifer would have been 18. Wow. Yeah. So they wow. were there for the whole thing. And even like, first time I got to take a shower at the hospital, I was just buck ass naked with my drains <laughs> hanging off of me and they were there and nobody cared. <laughs> so speaking of buck ass naked, yes. um, 
when did you see yourself for the first time after surgery? I caught a glimpse in the mirror um, at the hospital and I still kind of had, even though I, I still had like um, wraps and things on me, so I didn't fully see it until okay. I got home. So once I got home, like I have a full, I had a full mirror, like on my um, closet in my bedroom. And so that's when I had that first, like, okay, let's, let's see what I look like. Yeah. Um, I had lost weight. Of course I was, I looked much thinner because of the abdominal fat. People call it a tummy. It's not a tummy tuck, but right. the result looks like a tummy tuck, you know, cause it's, it's a lot different than a tummy tuck, the surgery itself. Right. Um, so I was like, okay, well that, that's kind of cool. I still couldn't stand up straight. So here I am like this hunched over person because my back hurts so bad. <laughs> so kind of, and, and with the surgery, like, you, you know, you didn't want to really stand up. I had to go to physical therapy for yeah. that, but um, it was weird. I, I, I finally fully understood what those women were talking about where I, I thought I was mentally prepared. I'm like, I know I'm going to look different. I know it. I've yeah. seen the pictures. I know what the incisions look like. I'm going to be fine. But until you're standing in front of a mirror looking at your own body that looks nothing like it did a week prior, even mentally prepared, man, I, I was just kind of like, it was such a weird sensation. Like it took me a very long time to kind of come to, to terms with that. And, yeah. the, and, and it, it's silly as it sounds like my surgeon, after when I went back for the follow-ups, he's like, do you want nipple reconstruction? You know, so they can kind of make Look. new nipples for you, you know, and you can get tattooing and all that stuff. And at first I'm like, no, I don't need it. But then after I was, after I was healed, you kind of feel like a Barbie doll. Like it's just, oh yeah, I know what you mean. You know, yeah. because of yeah. the, the your skin is all the same color, you know, like even where like the breast tissue is. There's no contrast the to make it look right. like a breast. Right, right. Sorry. No, you're that good. To... Um, so um, it, it is weird how that affects like how, why it affected me. And like, why does not having nipples affect my self-image? Like, why is that even like it? It really bothered me that it bothered me. Well, so, and because that's the normal, right? Right. Nipples. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then when I was cleared, you know, for regular activity, like, you know, a few months later or whatever, and everything was pretty healed and I still wasn't feeling quite normal, but I was getting back to reg I was back to work and all that stuff. Looking in the mirror, I didn't feel like myself anymore. I just, I didn't feel, even though I was you know, thinner looking, of course, I didn't have because I had two kids. So I had like the pupa or whatever they call that. You did not have a pupa. You shush up. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I did. I had two kids. Trust me, I did. You know, you have that jiggly. Yeah, you, know, you have that little extraness. Right. And so like that was gone. So you think, okay, I should feel like oh, I feel good. I got new boobs. I got belly. You know, tummy tummy get looking. my stomach's flat. Yeah. Right. And, then, and I didn't feel that way. I mm. just did not feel attractive. I, I thought, you know, and, and Brian, like he's, like I said, he was super supportive. Like he was fine with how I looked and everything, but I just, I was really on the struggle bus. Yeah. And, um, a friend of mine did, um, boudoir photography and she had a post on Facebook. It was that October, November, I forget. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I don't know why the date matters, but anyways. Well, because um, you're trying to show you had your surgery in April. So now by right. October, November. Right. And so I had already had the second surgery. So the second surgery was early October where I had the ovary and tube out. And I did have a few revi revisions because my boobs, <laughs> basically like the the reconstruction, it, I don't know, it was like kind of going into my armpits. Oh. So I had like puffiness into my armpits. And I'm like, okay, I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then my hips, they call them dog ears. So because of where the incision stops on your hips, and if you have like a little, if you have pudge there or whatever, right. it creates like this extra like, I don't know. So anyway, like they little, did like, they, yeah. So they basically do like liposuction then to reduce that. Oh. So, yeah. So I had that done and then they fixed like, and the thing, they basically did like the liposuction under, under my armpits to help reduce that puffiness and that, I don't know, the extra tissue that went in there. Yeah. So, anyways, so I'm, I'm recovered from all of that and that surgery was, was fine. Um, but also oh, she posts that she's looking for women with tattoos to come in and like basically get your session for free, like as, a, as like a model, you know, like mm. just so she can show whatever. And so I'm like, I'm just going to apply, you know, I, I know her well, I'm just going to go ahead. And so she, she messaged back. She's like, oh my gosh, I'd love to have you come in and, you know, do a session. 
And I'm like, oh, okay. And I thought to myself, I'm like, I'm just, I'm not going to feel, I feel like I'm just going to feel ugly going in to have these boudoir photos done. Did you, you know, feel I, at like you were going to back, back out? Yeah, I did at one point. I don't think I ever told her that either. At one point, I'm like, this is stupid. I probably shouldn't even do this. My scars are going to show. I'm just going to feel frumpy or whatever. I don't know. But she was awesome. She made me feel super comfortable, you know, and um, so I had them done. And when they came back, I can't tell you how it helped me cry again. <laughs> see myself the way my husband saw sorry I was able to finally like okay there I am oh some people maybe would have thought it was silly like why do our photo you know like yourself but I'm like I got to see myself through somebody else's lens you know it was like somebody else's lens and I got to see those photos and I'm like okay and that was such a revelation for me because it had been, you know, such a long time since I felt like myself. Yeah. And for whatever reason, like having that done, like just made me feel like, you know, like I was back in my own skin again. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's I great. Cry today. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> we can cry. Trust me. I have so- some subjects that yeah. I talk about. It just it happens and what you went through it's traumatizing not only is it traumatizing physically but mentally yeah what what we do to ourselves and how we feel what normal is and then to have something like this to preventative care you go through this preventative care and then you're left feeling more down and depressed even though you prepare yourself yeah and then i i did read about something about um they call us previvors because, you know, you have the prophylactic surgery, so you don't get cancer, but there's a guilt and it's, and it's a bizarre thing. I saw some women talk about it, but they're right. There's a guilt when you run into somebody who actually experiences breast cancer and they're going through this nightmare of their chemo and radiation and they're just suffering. And there's a guilt because you were able to get ahead of it. It's almost like survivor's guilt. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I feel that sometimes some people like, Oh, I, you know, I, I heard that like, like you had a, a mastectomy and, and then to say, well, mine was preventative. There's just a part of me that feels guilty because I'm standing across from somebody who's going through this awful thing in their life. And I feel like somehow I cheated it. And now this poor yeah. human on the other side of me is like dealing with all the crap that I might've had to go through. And no one's ever made me feel that way. Like I've never, no, had it's just like inside say, yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, you just kind of have like that survivor skill kind of, and yeah. yeah, I didn't expect that either, but yeah. Isn't it bizarre what we, what our brains do to our own yeah. selves? Cause that's really what it boils down to. It's our thoughts. It's not even yeah. the other person's, you know? And then we yeah. also have social media to have the people that put that on top of what we already feel. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's exactly it. Cause you, you know, and, and I was sharing my story and again, fortunately everyone who would, besides one person who was kind of knocking me for choosing the surgeries, other than that, everybody was super supportive. And that's I actually had women like this is what made me feel good. I had women who were going through like their own mastectomy, not mastectomy, it's their mammograms who got some results back that were like, you know, we need to have you come back in. And they're like, they didn't have anyone they felt comfortable talking to. So they would message me like, okay, what, you know, did you feel like scared, even though you just had to go back in? And so I just felt good that somebody could reach out because I did share my story. Yeah. They felt comfortable coming to me and saying, Hey, I'm really scared. And I don't know who else to talk to about this. Yes. So prior to your boudoir shots and stuff, Mm -hmm. um, did you feel like around your husband, you were more covering up and not yourself? And and did it cause any kind of like any tension between the two of you? Um, There wasn't tension. It was more just my own like feeling insecure and yeah, absolutely covering up more. Um, Just not feeling comfortable in my own skin, not feeling attractive, not feeling sexy, that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know? And, and so, yeah, it affected my, like my libido. <laughs> yeah. And all of that because I just didn't feel like, I don't know. I don't know how I felt, but it just wasn't, didn't feel like me. Yeah. And know? so then but you get those never... back and did it automatically fix everything once you got those pictures back and saw how Brian looks at you. <laughs> right. It, it helped a lot. Like I can't, it, I don't know if it just, if it just, I probably should have had therapy. It's probably what I needed was I probably needed to go to therapy. 
Um, but they it should maybe give people therapy automatically. Yeah. Cause even, but you know, what's funny is until you experience it, you don't think you need it. Cause I thought I was prepared. I thought, Nope, this isn't going to happen to me. I'm going to be fine. And then it happened. Um, and I was, and I've, I've been to therapy before, so I, I should have known myself anyways, to advocate and be like, I should probably go to therapy. I'm not going <laughs> to like myself, you know, but for whatever reason, I didn't, I don't know if I thought I was silly for, and I think that's it. I think as women, we think, you know, they're, they're just boobs or whatever. Like, why am I having anxiety? Why am I having self, you know, image things about around this? Yeah. Um, so I think we second guess ourselves thinking like, am I being, um, what's the word for it? Like conceited because I'm worried about how I look so much. Yeah, I can see that, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and sometimes when we have those like deep seated thoughts, I think we push them away and ignore them. Yeah. And I, my mom comes into play here too. So sadly my mom's gone now, but like when I had my surgery, like I, even though everyone else was really supportive, she was supportive to a point. She didn't understand my reconstructive surgery. She did not understand really? it. Yeah. She just thought, well, they're just boobs. Why do you need them? You don't need them for, they're just, they're just, so fat. she thought you should do like your sister and do yeah. flat. Yeah. Yeah. She just did not understand it. And I just, you know, she kept saying things that were kind of like backhanded at me off and on throughout it. And so like, I think that got to me a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So So that's probably where you start thinking to yourself, am I conceited? No, you have to feel comfortable in your own skin. And I think that's what it was because she had me guessing, you know, thinking like I was just, you know, trying to be like, Oh, I've got the, you know, like I had a boob job or something, you know, like, yeah, I think it made me feel insecure because she made me feel like well, she didn't make, no one can make you feel a certain right. way. But no, but her it, comments, right. But her comments made me feel a little bit like, you know, am I just being too self full of myself or something of how I look, you know? Yeah. But you know what? Think about it now saying that from that journey, but all the other right. journeys that you go on in trying to be successful or trying yeah. to do this or that, everyone comes at you in a way of like, oh, you think so highly of yourself. And that's right. not necessarily true. Right. That's not true. Yeah. yeah. If you're, if you're not, I learned this too, from all, of, you know, since when I was past, especially like, if you're not the one in your own corner, like cheering yourself on, giving yourself pep talks, being your own rock star supporter, who else is going to? This is a fact. You have to be that person for yourself. That is a absolute fact. I learned that from you. I used to hold myself back a lot, but because of how, you you know, look at your journey and you say that if I'm not championing myself, who's going to do it? It's true. We can't count on everybody else. Yeah. And because nobody else is going to understand your journey like you are, you know, you, you have to be, you know, not, not so much. Well, I mean, secure security is a hard thing to come by, but being secure in your own decisions and beliefs and what you want for yourself, like, yeah. you know, and standing, you, standing your ground. Yeah. You, you have to be that because nobody else is going to do that for you. And if you're yes. looking for outsiders to do that for you, you're going to be let down every time. Yeah. Are you today mm-hmm. fasting forward? Are you happy with the decisions that you made with your body? Absolutely. Looking back, I mean, I wouldn't want to go through it again, but I would absolutely <laughs> make the choices I made. I'm very, even though with, with the whole thing and how difficult it was, I would make the same decision again. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And that's, you know, and that's all that, you know, you can ask for. So after yeah. doing all that, now you have this major health scare. Does that make you reprioritize your life? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, when, when something's making you unhappy, instead of like just sitting with it and being miserable, whatever, like I made decisions a lot quicker to get out of whatever that was, or to, to fix things in my life that were making me unhappy. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, a year later is when I quit my full-time job. And that's kind of where I was leading into. Did that, did that health scare kind of push you to say, okay, life's too short. I'm going to just go for it. And I think it was a combination of things because um, we lost my dad in August of 2017 and then also after this surgery and kind of already having that revelation, like life is short, man. Like I just, I wasn't necessarily happy in my job, even after all those years and stuff. I just, I, it wasn't a good fit anymore for me. Mm-hmm. So between that and then losing my dad a month later is when I quit that job. Oh, wow. I'm like, you know, life is just, I am just not happy. I'm dreading going to work. And I'm like, things need to change. I can't yeah. 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 So it, it definitely made a, a big difference. That's awesome. 
That's awesome. Um, so tell everybody where they can find you. Oh, okay. Um, Facebook, Wendy Babcock on Facebook. Um, my website is wendynetworks.com. Um, LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram, TikTok. I'm Gertie Glitterbottom on <laughs> TikTok. <laughs> I love Gertie. <laughs> and so, do you yeah. have anything else that you want to share as far as like um, your health journey? Um, everything's, you know, obviously the pandemic hasn't been kind to me as well as other people with waking and stuff. Um, I wish I would have, you know, looking back, I wish I would pay a little bit more attention to like what I'm eating and health wise. Cause I think, I think that would have played a role in healing faster too, if I would have been healthier back then even. So I think, you know, you kind of let yourself go after a while sometimes, you know, I'm 47 now and now I'm having another little small health scare and so, you know, just, just putting those as a priority. We always put our health on the back burners. Yeah. You know, that is so true. Yeah. Putting yeah. myself as a priority for my health is once again on the forefront in my life. Yeah. So when you stop paying attention to yourself, that's when the health says, Hey, pay yeah. attention and ladies get those screenings because it could literally be maybe a matter of life and death. It, that's what absolutely. I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree. And yeah, they're uncomfortable and it can be scary, but you know, look at the alternative. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I hope yeah. I can get your sister on here to talk about her decision and her. I do too. Yeah. yeah. And I don't want to share her story. That's for her to tell. Yeah, but yeah she exactly. Had a different experience. And, you know, I, now let me ask this because I think it pertains to both of you. Were your surgeries close together or yes. did you do yours first and then hers right after, or were they pretty much the state in line? So mine was April of 2016 and hers was in June. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so she had you to, to look to a little bit, a little bit. Her surgery was different, but also she was in a different situation because she had little ones at home where my daughters were already growing up. So yeah. it was different for me than it was for her. Cause then she had to have help come in with the kids because you know, yeah, they were there's a lot of healing oh. to do. All right. Tina Marie, if you are listening, you need to yes. come on this show and share your story. <laughs> yeah. I think hers is a powerful story too. It really so is. It is. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm going to stop recording. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you.